Well, this morning I want to ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Remember, this is our last Sunday school class until, I believe it's the 10th of September. We're taking July and August off as we do every year. And then that first Sunday of September, so we begin the Sunday after Labor Day. And so, um, wanted to bring things just to a conclusion, really, in this study of what does it mean. And we've been going over various aspects of the means of grace. So, several weeks ago, um, the Sunday school lesson was on that subject, what does it mean, the means of grace, what, what is that, what, what do we mean by that? And so we've looked at various aspects of it. We looked quite closely at the Lord's table and uh, what to do before, during, and after. Uh, We've looked at the subject of preaching and listening to a sermon and that aspect of the means of grace. And so I had two options. We could either do baptism or prayer. Well, Baptism is going to be way longer than one Sunday school lesson, so we opted for prayer, which also is way longer than one Sunday school lesson. But I want to try to narrow our focus down just a little bit. I am going to, at the time we have remaining, um, go through the large, or I'm sorry, the shorter catechism, question 98, that just says, what is prayer? And just look at that from a very broad overview kind of perspective, and we'll see that as whatever time we have left. But uh, keeping with the spirit of our overall theme, what does it mean? Um, I tried to think of some more specific questions that have to do with prayer, and the one that came to mind that gets asked, I think, sometimes, I think some, I think for the most part, we generally understand what the Bible means by this phrase, but I want to start with dealing with this subject of what does it mean to pray without ceasing? And look at that specific question first, and then we'll back out of that and go more generally into what is prayer anyway? What are we doing when we pray? And so 1 Thessalonians 5, and it's verse number 17 that has that particular command from Paul. Uh, We have three words in English. It's actually two words in Greek. When Paul gets to the end of this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, he kind of gets to a whole series of bullet point commands. Bullet point commands might be too strong, but bullet point admonitions that he gives to this church. And so verse 14, he says that he is exhorting you, brethren, Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient uh, toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So he's listed some things, but now kind of more of a bullet point kind of thing. Uh, Verse 16, rejoice evermore. 17, pray without ceasing. 18, and everything give thanks. And then we have that phrase, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The this is singular there. And so commentators go back and forth as to what exactly 
the this refers to, because it is singular, then technically we would make a reference back to the giving of thanks. But there's a good argument to be made that even though the word this is singular, it still references a collective whole that is singular. This rejoicing, praying, and giving of thanks, that collectively together as a single unit, if you will, is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then he goes on, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, preaching is the idea there, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Uh, So there he's aiming at discernment, abstain from all appearance of evil, and then the blessing of that. Of, of these things, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And so verse 17 is our reference point and our, our focus this morning, pray without ceasing. What does he mean there? Now, in English, our word ceasing, I think, is the part that gives us some difficulty, without ceasing. So what does the word ceasing mean? What does it mean to cease? To stop, okay? So Let's put this a different way. What Paul says there is pray without stopping. How many of you are praying right now? Okay. Well, we prayed just a moment ago. We opened the meeting in prayer. And I said, amen. We're done, right? So we stopped praying. And so if Paul is is saying here, pray without stopping, well, that causes us some difficulty. And I don't mean this in any irreverent way, and I'm not trying to be silly, but just kind of a a blunt way of putting this just to drive home a point. i got other stuff to do. And you've got other stuff to do. So what is Paul getting at here? Is Paul setting a bar that's so ridiculous that, like, who could ever do this thing? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's what Paul is, is aiming at. And I don't in any way think, because the Holy Spirit does not do this, and so Paul did not do this. We're not here to read something that is, for us as believers, a cloak of bondage. Pray without ceasing. And you should not come to the end of your day thinking to yourself, I didn't pray all day long. I didn't do right. I should have been praying all day long. Should you pray more? Well, probably. But... You know, what's the point here? What does it mean when Paul says pray without ceasing? Well, thankfully, this is not the only place this particular word without ceasing, so that is one word in Greek. It's not the only place that this happens. And conveniently enough for us, it only happens three other places. And so it's going to be easy enough for us to look at those. So let's turn them up. Turn to Romans 1 verse 9. Romans 1 and verse 9. This is the first time that this word is used. All four times that it's used, it's used by Paul. It's used once in the book of Romans. The other three are in 1 Thessalonians. And so we've read the last time that this word occurs. And so the first time is Romans 1 and verse 9. I'm going to, let's read all three verses and then I'll make comment on it. So Romans 1 verse 9 says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that, here we go, without ceasing I make mention of you always 
in my prayers. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And so the without ceasing is our word there. Now, interestingly enough, the word always that's translated there is the word that Paul uses in verse number 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, rejoice evermore. Rejoice always. And so Romans 1.9 uses both of these words, but it uses this without ceasing. And that's the way the authorized version has translated that. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Uh, so now 1 Thessalonians 1. So notice that in Romans 1 was in a greeting. Paul's still in his greeting phase of the book of Romans. So 1 Thessalonians 1.2 It's translated with the word always in this place. So 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So Paul is saying there, we give thanks to God without ceasing for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13, and this is actually one of the verses we looked at last week. Um, with the subject of preaching, that they receive the word as it is in truth, not the word of men, but the word of God. So 1 Thessalonians 2.13, again, this is a, a context of giving thanks. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. There's the word again, without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And so we see the, the authorized version in Romans and then twice in 1 Thessalonians translates it with that phrase, without ceasing, but then in 1 Thessalonians 1-2 translates it with the word always. And so there's some linguistic connection, obviously, with without ceasing and always. And then if you go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 17, we have this together again, we have rejoice always and then pray always or without ceasing. It's what about yep. the first, first Thessalonians one three? That's a different Hebrew that's a different Greek word. Yeah. I I didn't catch that. Yeah. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Hold on. Let me see if it's the one in verse sixteen. Hold on. I didn't catch that. Thank you. I'm going to have you do my Sunday school lessons from now on. No, one, one verse three. Yeah, you can do them during July and August. Now i got to learn how to use my phone. There we go. Well, it is the same word. That is the same word that's used in verse seven, five seventeen. That didn't come up in my search. I searched on that root verb. That's what my, I got fancy software that helps me with my Greek. Um, maybe I have the wrong reference. Maybe I looked at it wrong. Maybe the word always is the wrong one. 
Hey, thank you. I'm wrong. So in verse 2, it's the word that's in verse 16 always. Pontote. I was wrong. So scratch that. Forget 1 Thessalonians 1.2. It's 1 Thessalonians 1.3 actually has the word that's in chapter 5 and verse 7. Now my thing's going goofy. Eh, stop it. So anyway, okay. The point, is, it's still only used four times. I'm right on that. But yeah, thank you, Daniel. I'm, 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 I put the wrong verse. So it's verse 3 is without ceasing. Anyway, let's go on. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, let's look at this. Paul puts together these three things. So I mentioned this a little bit in some introductory things. You see 16, 17, and 18 of chapter 5. We have the, the rejoicing, the praying, and the giving of thanks. And there are a few places where Paul mentions these three things together. Sometimes in the same order, sometimes in a different order. But let me show you a, a similar uh, situation here. Turn over to Philippians 4, 4 to 6. Philippians 4, 4 to 6. So here Paul has these three things together. So in verse 4 of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and so there's still this idea of rejoicing always. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so there, he doesn't use this same language of consistency, of, of, of frequency, of without ceasing, but he uses the language of in everything by prayer and supplication. And so even though he's not using a word that would have our attention pointed to time, like a without ceasing, and so in the time context, here he's focusing our attention in praying to everything, in everything, pray about everything. And so we have these similar situations in Scripture over and over. And so what is Paul saying here? What does he mean? How are we to understand when he says pray without ceasing? Well, there is another ancient translation of the Scriptures, not Greek or Hebrew, but it's actually the Ethiopic version of the Bible. Now, the Ethiopic version was one of the earliest, I think, I'm not positive on this, I think it predates the Latin Vulgate, um, Jerome's Latin Vulgate that was done in the 400s. I think the Ethiopic version is previous to that. Um, you've heard of Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was an Ethiopian, and he would have had that Ethiopic version, and then um, Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, um, he was before any translation um, other than the Septuagint, would have been the only translation that existed when he was reading. He was probably reading the Septuagint, uh, which was simply an Old Testament translation into Greek. 
but the ancient Ethiopic version translates the word in um, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 with the word that we would translate into English, frequently. Now, I think that's helpful because I think that English word captures really the essence of the way Paul uses this word when he talks about it in his introductions to these various letters. And so if we go back to Romans 1.9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that frequently I make mention of you in my prayers. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. Now, are we to understand from Romans 1.9 that every time Paul prayed, he thanked God for the Romans? Is that what we're to believe? That's probably not a reasonable, solid conclusion to come to that every single time Paul prayed, he thanked God for the Romans. It is reasonable for us to believe that frequently when Paul prayed, he thanked God for the Romans. It was often that he remembered the Romans in prayer. And so the same thing when he greets the Thessalonians in verse 3 instead of verse 1, that he's thanking God often and frequently for these Thessalonian believers. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God frequently, because when you received the word which you heard, you received it not as a word of men, etc. That word frequently, I think, better captures the, the essence and the spirit of what Paul is getting at when he says pray without ceasing. He means pray frequently, pray often. Now, when Paul prayed, he prayed for a lot of other things. He did not constantly and without ceasing thank the Lord for the Romans because he also thanked the Lord for the Thessalonians. And you can't do two things without ceasing at the same time. Right? But you can do two things frequently at the same time. And I think that really captures the heart and the spirit of this. Let me try to illustrate it for you in another way. Let's say you and your spouse, or if you're not married, you and your best friend are going on a long road trip. You get in the car, off you go. You buy snacks like you're a nine-year-old unsupervised at Walmart with a hundred bucks. That's how you should do a road trip, by the way. You should buy snacks like an unsupervised nine-year-old at Walmart. And those are the snacks that you should have for a road trip. Anyway, you're on your road trip and off you go. Now, you're talking with one another, right? Now, could you say when you get to the end, end of that road trip that you talked without ceasing? Well, maybe, perhaps, depends on how long the trip is. Could you say that you talk to each other frequently and you talk to each other often? Well, I would think, of course so, if, if you're close, good friends. And so you get in the car, you know, let, let's follow the illustration out. All illustrations break down, so you get it. But you get in the car and off you go, and you begin your talking. You're excited about where you're going. Have you ever been here before? Uh, yeah, the last time I was here, we did this, we did that, we did this other thing, on and on and on. Hey, you want to listen to some music? Okay, so you put some music on. Well, you're not talking now, you're, you're, you're listening to the music. 
and that one song comes on, oh, I really like that song, and now you're talking again. And then you stop, and hopefully not the driver, but the other person's like, hey, do you mind if I rest my eyes for a little bit? And so maybe you doze off, right, and you 20-minute nap. You hit a speed bump, and oh, oh, well, did I fall asleep? Yeah. How long was I asleep? Oh, probably 20 minutes. And so now you're talking again. And that conversation kind of lulls out, and you're just looking at the scenery, and it's beautiful, and trees go by, and you see this, and whatever, and then something comes to your mind, and you start talking again. Now, you get to the end of your trip, you arrive, your destination, you're done. How much did you talk? I think it's completely legitimate, and all of us would understand if somebody said, you know, on that trip, we talked the whole time. But had you played the video back, well, you're a liar. You didn't talk the whole time. But no, of course, you, what'd you do? You, you talked with each other the whole trip. From the start of it to the end of it, you talked with each other. And it would be reasonable to say we talked without ceasing. Now, did, does that literally mean that you never stopped talking? Well, no. Because the other guy talked, and you listened, and then you talked, and, you know, it's back and forth. And so that kind of illustration, I think, works. Now, do I talk to Lydia all day long? No. But, yeah, we talk all day. We send texts back and forth of different things going on. And I talk to her in the morning before I leave for work, but I go to work. And there's times I don't talk to her or... I'll send her a text about something, or she'll send me a text about something, and you know, we we there's prolonged periods of time where we don't really talk, but then I get home and I've got work to do, I'm working on this, or making a phone call or whatever, and so then we talk again, we sit at dinner and we talk, and then you run an errand, you come home and you talk again, and so what do we do? Well, we we talked all day. But we didn't literally talk all day, but of course we, I mean, we talked all throughout the day. It was frequent and it was often. And I think that captures the heart of what the Apostle Paul is meaning when he says pray without ceasing. Simply that your praying should develop into a rhythm. A rhythm of talking with the Lord frequently and often. It is a way of life. The Lord is present in your heart and mind the exact same way, well, maybe exact, but in the same way that your best friend riding in the car is on a road trip. You're you're talking just the whole time, all, all the time. God is constantly in your thoughts. God is on your mind. And don't lose, don't lose sight of the connection that's made between this rejoicing, praying, and giving of thanks. And, and that trilogy that occurs throughout the New Testament, rejoicing and praying and giving of thanks. And so what are you doing in your prayers? You're rejoicing, you're praying, and you're giving of thanks. Or you're, you're, you're rejoicing, you're petitioning, and you're giving thanks. And as life happens, as good things happen to you, 
thank the Lord for it. You know, even that, even that conversation among friends, and they say, you know, the Lord provided this and this, and the other friend says, praise the Lord. Well, there's a sense in which even that in itself is an offering up of prayer, a, a praise, a thanksgiving to the Lord. And it's part of that rhythm of the Christian life of communing with the Lord. And the Lord always present, the Lord always on your thoughts. You probably have heard the quotation attributed to Spurgeon. Anything that's good said that you don't know who said it, it was probably Spurgeon that said it. But this one, I think, is, is tied to Spurgeon. And I'm not sure if it's commenting on this verse particularly or just commenting on prayer, but the quote goes like this. Spurgeon says, I rarely pray for longer than 15 minutes, but I rarely go 15 minutes without praying. That's the spirit and heart of this, right? It's not that you're just praying and praying and praying and you never stop praying, but you're always praying. The Lord is, the Lord is literally right here, and he, he's right there to, to talk to in, in good times, in bad times, and in different times. The Lord is there to speak with. And so we pray all the time without ceasing, frequently, often. It is our manner of life as a Christian. It is as normal and natural to the Christian as it is breathing, as it is your heart beating. Now, you don't want your heart to cease, I understand. Illustrations break down. But it's as, it's as normal as anything. It's just the natural, it's what Christians do. They just pray. They seek the Lord. So let's, in our time remaining, just deal with this subject of what is prayer. So the Catechism, question 98, um, says, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And so that's a very succinct, very well-stated definition of what prayer is. It's an offering up of our desires to God for things that are agreeable to the will of God. We do it in the name of Christ. Well, it's not only petition, but it's also um, confession of sin and then thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Some of you may have a little paperback um, book um, that's called The Shorter Catechism Explained from Scripture. Uh, it's a, one of the Puritan paperbacks published by Banner of Truth. But it's by one of the Puritans named Thomas Vincent. And in that book, what he does is he asks catechism questions about the catechism. And so with this one, question 98, for example, um, I think he asks 17 questions. Maybe it's 15 Uh, something like that, 15, 16, 17 questions about this question. And by asking questions is understanding what the various parts of the question mean. And so just as we have time left here, I want to go through some of those questions that he asks. The first one that he asks in, in understanding what is prayer, he says, how many parts are there in prayer? Well, the questions that he asks are answered by the catechism answer, and that's kind of the format that he does, but it's, it's questions to make you think through, okay, exactly what are they saying here? 
Well, we see in the answer, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. So there's petition. That's one integral and necessary part of prayer. Uh, There is also confession. We confess our sins. That's a necessary part of prayer. And not long ago, we talked about repentance and um, the fact that repentance is necessary for the believer. Um, And then the third part is thanksgiving, acknowledging the mercies of God. And so those three things are all part of prayer. And so if you consider just as an example, the Lord's Prayer, we see all three of those things in the Lord's Prayer. So the next catechism question is, you know, what pattern um, has God given to us uh, for praying and the Lord's Prayer? And so our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, there is an offering up of praise. Um, you can put that in the thanksgiving part of it. There is the petition, the give us this day our daily bread part of it. And then there is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors part of it. There is all these parts of prayer in that pattern that the Lord gives us. And so that's important for us to consider as we pray. Can you have a prayer that is only petition? Yeah, that's okay. Can you have a prayer that is only thanksgiving and you don't ask God for anything? Well, of course, you can do that too. Can you have a prayer that is only a confession of sin? Well, yes, but I think with that, there has to be something of a, a thankfulness for forgiveness. But can you only confess sin? Well, yeah, you, that prayer exists too. But all three of these, as, as you have a pattern and a consistency of praying, all of these need to be parts that are touched in prayer. The second question that he asks, well, I think it's actually his third question, but it's my second question. here. Um, what kind of petition is real prayer to God. And what he gets at there is really the focus of the catechism answer that says prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. And he's getting to the heart of things that prayer is not just lip service to the Lord. Prayer is not just um, rote and mundane, but Prayer is really a pouring out of our heart to God. Things that have touched us, things that are burdens to us, and we unburden ourselves to the Lord. We put the true desires of our heart out. We put our deepest cares and concerns to the Lord. We we don't come to the Lord with things that we perceive to be indifferent. We don't have a take it or leave it attitude in prayer. We come to the Lord with an earnestness and and a desire for the things that we seek. And our hearts are in it, is really the point that he gets there. And then he asks the question, why do we direct our prayers to God and to God alone? Now, in the context of the Shorter Catechism and also in the context of the Puritans, um, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but they always have to throw a rock at the Pope. And so he gets his jabs in it, praying to the Pope and praying to the saints and and Virgin Mary, which is good and appropriate to jab at those things because they're completely wrong. But in our context, we're not confused about that. We don't have, I don't think any of us bow our head and, you know, dear saint whatever. Um, You know, that's not on our radar at all. 
But really getting to the heart of that question, why is it that we pray to God and to God alone? It's because prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is worship. Prayer is, you know, we, we put it in this context of the means of grace. The means of grace happen specifically in the context of our, our worship. And prayer is an act of worship to God. And God alone is the one that can deal with any of the, the needs and the burdens that we have. As we put our burdens before him, we come acknowledging that we're helpless. We can do nothing. And God, if you don't act, nothing's going to be acted upon. And so we pour our hearts out to him. And then what does it mean by things agreeable to his will? Well, uh, we can look at providence and sovereignty from one perspective, from the secret will of God, that that's not been revealed to us, that that we find very confusing and we don't understand, and looking at it from that perspective, everything that happens, everything that turns out and actually happens in real life is agreeable to God's secret will. Even the worst of sins is, in, in a way that we don't understand, ultimately accomplishing God's good purpose and is agreeable to God's will. Now, that's not what we're praying for. What we're praying for is things that we know to be. not We, we can't pray the secret will of God. We pray only the revealed will of God. And God has revealed enough to us for us to pray about. And we have a long list of things that are agreeable to his will that we know are agreeable. And so we pray for the forgiveness of our sins. We know that that is something that God has directed us as uh, fallen creatures to pray for. We pray for a supply of the grace of God. We pray for spiritual life. We pray for spiritual strength to endure the difficulties and the temptations we face. We, we pray for deliverance from evil. Um, that, that's in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. We know that God has revealed those things for us to pray. We also, in our petitions, we have warrant to pray for all temporal good that we stand in need of. So, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, we're directed to pray for our daily bread. And our daily bread sometimes is flour, water, and yeast mixed together, like literally bread, but sometimes our daily bread is a paycheck. Sometimes our daily bread is a reliable vehicle to get us back and forth from work. Sometimes our daily bread is emotional sustenance to, to get through a difficult and a hard time. Our daily bread is code for everything and anything we need in this life. Lord, give us what we need. And so we pray for that. We pray for the provisions of this life and so we pray for all those things that we know revealed to us in Scripture are agreeable to the will of God. We don't pray and, and ask amiss. We don't pray in vain that way. But we pray the Lord's words back to Him. You know, so when we're in a time of need, it's, we, we have warrant to go past, Lord, supply my needs. We have warrant to look at Scripture and see all those places in Scripture where God has supplied the needs of His saints in the past. We see all the promises where God has promised to supply the needs of His people. He never leaves His people begging bread, etc. Verse after verse after verse. Open thy mouth wide, I will fill it. 
those kinds of promises. We're praying the Lord's word back to him. And doing that, we know we're agreeable to his will because we're actually praying things that he has told us to pray. And then um, the question, what does it mean to pray in the name of Christ? And we'll end, we'll stop here. Praying in the name of Christ is more than just ending with the in Jesus' name, amen, salutation, um, you know, conclusion to our prayer. Praying in the name of Christ is to, by faith, depend upon Christ alone as our access to God. We don't, in, in that sense, barge into the presence of God. Coming boldly to the throne of grace does not mean that we have right in and of ourselves to just barge into his presence. No, we come with a humility and a faith and a reverence that we come in the name of Christ. We come not in our own righteousness. We come clothed in Christ's righteousness, and he alone is our authority and access to enter into the presence of God and seek him. Christ himself said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And so we come in Jesus' name, asking that the Lord would hear us for Christ's sake, that we, we come pleading the merits and the work, the atonement of Christ as our right and authority and access into his presence. And so this is prayer. It's a very brief overview, obviously. I mean, we're just scratching little tiny bits of the surface along the way. There's a whole Bible full of directions for us for praying. But hopefully this is helpful and profitable to us all. And may the Lord use it. And then let's close in prayer and then have time to prepare for the service here to follow. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray that you would teach us to pray as you taught your disciples to pray. We thank you for that um, promise in Scripture that when we seek you, we, you will be found of us. And we pray that you would help us in our lives day by day to have that constant and consistent attitude of prayer, that we would pray frequently and often, and that we would be mindful of your presence with us as we go through this life. And we pray that you would give us that spiritual sensitivity that we need. We ask that you'll prepare our hearts for the service to follow, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.